Hi everyone, welcome to the Debate 101 series of This Housewood, a podcast on all things debate related. I'm Hannah and together with Sherry, we're your co-hosts. In today's episode, we'll be tackling argumentation and analysis in debate. It's a very ambitious task on our end, but we will try our best to break it down into more digestible parts. And also Sherry has lots of great illustration and examples to help everyone better understand and contextualize what we're saying. So in terms of argumentation and analysis, I want to start by explaining the big picture view of how that works and also how it fits into the broader context of debate cases and debate rounds. So argumentation are the building blocks of debate. When you present a debate case, you have to start with arguments in order to justify your side before anything else can happen. Before you can summarize the round, before you can argue with other debaters, it's necessary that we have something that is the groundwork. Again, remember that different speakers have different roles. So the typical role division looks like the first speaker brings up arguments. They probably bring up most or all of the arguments. And the second speaker primarily like fights others in terms of either refuting uh, attacking their other your opponent's cases or rebuilding your partner's case. In terms of what an argument in debate looks like, a good argument in debate is like a thorough, well-written point in an essay. So there are many different perspectives to contentious topics. So when we make an argument, we need to systematically explain and justify what we're saying through logical analysis and reasoning. So after that great explanation from Hannah as to why arguments actually matter, let's start to talk about the ways that arguments are constructed. If you've been in the debate world, you may have heard of all these fancy acronyms that are used to sum up the structure of an argument. There are things like PALE, which talk about point analysis, example, and link. There's things like PMIW, which is point, mechanism, impact, and weighing. It all sounds really fancy and confusing, but the gist of what an argument should have, there are three main elements that it should include. First, you need to have a point title. So this summarizes what you want to prove with your point, what is the thesis of the argument, and the conclusion you'll be making. Next, you should have analysis, which are reasons where you systematically explain and justify your arguments with logical reasoning. And finally, you'd like to have an example where you take your theory that you're talking about and you bring it into the real world and you show us examples of where this theory happens in real life. And then moving on from there, there are more strategic components that come with debate arguments. So you might need to compare your arguments with others through weighing to see which one's more important. You might want to link your argument to the motion and explain why it needs to be argued in order to win your round and other things like that. But we'll be covering those topics like weighing and framing and all that in future episodes. But today we're focusing on the most important concept, which is analysis. If you can make a good argument title and have a good argument analysis, you're going to win so many rounds just by doing that. So a little note before we go on, I always get asked this question about like formatting and debate. So what do you think is the importance of these argument formats and do you think it's necessary to use them? Yeah, I guess I'll share my perspective. Personally, I think they're useful. 
I kind of use them as like a mental framework. So I don't put it on my paper and write like an acronym on my paper. But I'll just think in my head when I'm preparing an argument, like, what is the point I'm making? What are some of the mechanisms or analysis, all the reasons for why this point is true? And I'll make sure to kind of have an example and also kind of put it in the real world. So I think it's definitely useful, but I wouldn't use it strictly. So I think there are always opportunities where you can branch off from the structure. Uh, it's just a way to remember the basic elements that you should include. Right. I think that's a great example, uh, like from a debater perspective. Uh, just adding on to that from more of a teacher's perspective, um, I hear a lot when people say that these formats are really meaningless or really arbitrary or really restricting. And I do think in a sense, all of that is true, especially at a higher level of debating. Uh, most of these formats are totally abandoned and people just adjust the way that they analyze each argument based on context, strategy, etc. I have vastly, vastly wildly different cases and structures based on the kind of debate I'm doing, for example. So in that sense, that is true. However, uh, what Sherry said, I think is very, very valid. I strongly, strongly still recommend beginners to follow a specific structure, not just, for example, just pale, but any structure that works for you personally. Uh, like, for example, when I teach grade sevens, I force them to make all of their arguments in pale, like point analysis, example, link, because it's easy to conceptualize and it teaches them how to systematically think about and explain ideas. And for older debaters, I recommend any format that clearly includes point analysis, impacting, weighing, and maybe an example and link. And the reason why I strongly recommend is kind of like training wheels. So for example, in ninth grade or something, they force you to like write essays in a specific format. And we thought that was really annoying. But now in like college, I can do whatever I want and I can say like, ha, ah, this is way better. But if I did whatever I wanted at like, I don't know, the ripe old age of 13, where I was really, really bad at writing, my paper would be really messy and all over the place. And I would not be able to learn as effectively like that. So it's the same situation here where debaters should follow a structure until they're able to know how to do each component very well. If you know how to do a very, very good example, very good analysis, very good weighing, then you can start thinking about strategy and prioritization, etc. And I think when you get more practice, it'll become more and more intuitive how to debate well while abandoning these structures and also how to apply strategy more fluidly. Shout out to my novs, they're very supportive of my podcast. Um, I love you children, if you keep working hard one day, you will wake up and give amazing speeches without even thinking about these arbitrary rules. Yeah, it will happen. All right, Hannah, I, I really appreciate the wholesome banter to your novices. I, I, it's definitely very hopeful, but maybe it'd be more helpful if we actually move on to explaining what analysis is and how to do it. Right, so in terms of analysis, I think people often conflate analysis with like mechanism and impacting. It's a really confusing thing. But the way that I teach it is that analysis is typically comprised of both mechanization and impacting. So mechanization plus impacting equals to analysis. And these are all fancy words, but they honestly don't mean much at all. So mechanization means why is this argument true? Question mark. And impacting is why is this important and what are the real world implications of this argument? So together, analysis just means explaining why an idea is true and also why an idea is important. Again, through like logical analysis, whatever the heck that means. So speaking of that really nebulous concept of logical reasoning and logical steps and 
how that actually works, I want to explain specifically how to do analysis. This seems pretty obvious at first, like, oh, I just explain why something is true. And then I explain why it's important. Great. But actually, there are two very distinct concepts, analysis and assertions that people often conflate with. So I want to go over both of these and explain how to do a very good line of analysis in debate. So in terms of assertions, recognize that most things we say in real life are assertions. And that's totally okay when we say those things because it would be super unnatural and also redundant for us to explain every step of our logic all the time. Uh, like there is a common mutual understanding in daily conversation. Like if I'm talking to Sherry ab about a concept, I'm going to assume that Sherry has a degree of understanding, Sherry knows what I'm talking about and therefore I don't have to explain everything. But in debate, your judge has to take basically everything you say at face value um, and they have to judge as a quote-unquote average informed voter because if the judge makes any kind of assumptions or quote-unquote mutual understanding about anyone's case it would be unfair so in debate we can't do what we usually do in you know conversation where we kind of just say well voting is good we have to really really explain through every single step why that's true so like if an experienced debater seems like they have a lot to say and lots of logical links, it's probably not that they know so much or like they're smarter or whatever. It's probably just because they are very accustomed to the rules of the game in debate. So what is proper analysis could sound really convincing and smart, but it also just seems quite unnatural and unnecessary to the average viewer in certain situations. Here's an example to show how we actually break down this process. The most simple way of doing it is you just take and, and, and as a line of assertion and then you keep asking yourself why is this important why is this true why is this true why is this important exactly what i talked about above until you're able to reach some kind of good conclusion that you think is adequate for your debate so an example like this house prefers a world in which humanity chooses voluntary human extinction over a world where humanity chooses continued existence kind of doomsday motion especially given like today's kind of political context but let's say our argument is that or our assertion is that this is going to prevent human suffering you have to then say why is this like motion going to prevent human suffering well, you can say this prevents human suffering because the world is currently in terrible condition. And it might seem really obvious, like, but when you're not a debater to be like, yeah, like, there's lots of problems with the world. But then in debate, after you say the world is in terrible condition, you have to go on to give contextualization to really make your case clear. So you would say, well, that's because the world is in terrible condition. For example, there are huge, huge issues like climate change, the global pandemic, increased food scarcity around the world and agricultural concerns, warfare, etc., etc. Okay, great. So now we've proven the world is just not great. Then we explain how does voluntary extinction prevent this? You can say, for example, if this process is voluntary, we can make long-term plan and have this process go fairly peacefully. You can talk about, for example, how with this motion, we can prevent all of these terrible things from happening if we just didn't exist. But also, we can do things like having proper food stocks, stopping large-scale extractive things like mining, etc. That's really bad for the earth, etc. So then you're able to take those questioning steps to go from 
we prevent human suffering to the end of that argument where you talk about specifically, okay, we establish the world is kind of bad and then we talk about specifically how is this motion going to prevent this and then you can conclude with talking about why this argument is important so it saves us it saves the earth etc etc all right yeah thank you hannah for that awesome explanation now i'm thinking about human extinction but that's all good (laughs) so let's talk a bit more about why we really need to care about analysis when we tend to use it in a round and, and why it's really important So I think with every round, it's definitely crucial to have a good grasp on analysis because that's really what wins you the round. And judges are always looking to see if you have the most logical explanation for why something will happen. And if you're able to give a good logical explanation, then it makes it more likely that they believe your side, that they believe what you're saying is true than if you're just going to assert it. And I think as a beginner debater, I remember really struggling with this idea of analysis and assertion. I would always say these things I just thought was true. But I think it's really important to be able to recognize when you're making an assertion in a round, when you really look at that statement and you think, is there evidence to back up what you're saying? If someone knew nobody, nothing about this topic, then would it be likely that they know what you're saying and they're able to believe what you're saying? So from there, you're then able to apply the principles of analysis that we've told you throughout this episode and make it so that this idea that you're setting up slowly becomes more and more believable, even to someone who doesn't know the topic matter. So as Hannah already said, it's always good to just keep asking why. Ask why after every claim until you finally reach the place where you can't ask why anymore. And if you realize that there's a why that you can't explain or haven't explained properly in your argument, you haven't analyzed your case enough and you need to fill in that hole. So another example that's a good way to look at this is the simple motion, this house would implement a junk food tax. Let's say, for example, you're on opposition. There's a very common argument about why the harms of a junk food tax can very severely hurt low-income individuals in particular. So a lot of debaters on op will start off with this assertion that a junk food tax will cause low-income families to suffer. And some people just leave it at that. But let's think about this for a second. Why is it likely that a junk food tax will cause this to happen? Well, a reason could be that a lot of low-income families actually rely on junk food heavily as a way to feed themselves, as a fill-in for a lot of their meals, as a way that they can get like a high caloric intake. And you might ask, you know, why is that the case? If this is true, why? And the reason that you might realize is that it's because junk foods are often a lot cheaper than healthy foods and like fresh fruits and vegetables on the market. Sure, this is great because we now understand why there's an incentive to buy it. But why is it the case that junk foods are cheaper? You might then realize and then be able to explain that it's often because of corporate pressure. So there's a lot of fast food companies and people who have interest in making fast food very cheap and keeping things like high fructose corn syrup and sugary foods very cheap in comparison to, again, healthy foods in order to make a profit. So now you've kind of reached this point where not only do you understand why it is that a junk food tax will directly lead to suffering of low-income families because of their incentives, But you also realize why this is a problem that is very hard to change, because it is due to things like corporate pressure that leads junk foods to become cheap and to stay cheap for the long term. So through this line of whys, you've slowly come to a reason for why your point is important and why it's likely to happen, and more importantly, why a junk food tax will lead to this harm 
that will never get changed with anything else. All right, so you've asked why a bunch. But another part of analysis, and something else is important, is impacting. So this means asking, so what? You've reached an important conclusion, sure, but then you need to explain what the practical impacts of this conclusion on the real world are. Why does it matter that junk food taxes make food more expensive for poor individuals? You might say that it leads poor people to struggle with things like food insecurity. They might not have enough financial resources to make their next meal. They might have to skip meals or eat less than they otherwise would have. They might have to, for example, divert their money from other financial burdens in their life, like housing, like paying rent, like bringing their kids to school or daycare or education. They might not be able to afford as much choice of food than they used to. So if they previously were able to split their money between cheap uh, fast food as well as more expensive healthy food, now they might be so limited that they continue to rely on fast food even if it is slightly more expensive. So all of these become reasons as to why your case matters, why the harm really hurts the people that we want to protect, which are these low-income individuals. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. those examples. That was very, very clear, Sherry. So because we talked a lot today, and this is a relatively long episode, I just want to end with quickly summarizing what we talked about. So the big picture view of argumentation and analysis shows that it's very, very important in doing good analysis, which you know leads to good argumentation, which will be very important to winning debate rounds. We talked about different formats in which we might want to structure our arguments and also, crucially, what is analysis and how are we able to do it. So to recap once again, as I always do for my lessons for my kids, analysis is mechanization, which is why is this true, and impacting, which is why is this important. So really quick TLDR of this entire episode is that if you can explain why an idea is true, and if you can explain why an idea is important, do those two things for a decently good idea in debate, and you will be able to succeed pretty far in this activity. Thank you for joining us for the Debate 101 series. Stay tuned for more on This Housewood. Please follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as our Instagram at THW Debate Podcast.